Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey folks, today's episode is brought to you by Bloomsbury, publisher of the book Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls. It's a memoir by T. Kira Madden. Lauren Groff calls it frank and funny and powerful and surprising an utterly gorgeous debut. It is the official March pick of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. Long live the tribe of fatherless girls by T. Kira Madden, available now from Bloomsbury. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jake, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to the Other People Podcast. I'm Brad Listy, and I'm in Los Angeles. It's nice to be with you. I have Steve Anwell on the program. He's got a new novel out on Tyrant Books. It is called Welfare. He came over uh, a while back. He's a Canadian author. And uh, he, he was in Los Angeles. He came over in the middle of the day with a uh, six-pack of beer. I think he smoked a joint in my backyard before we got started. So uh, we had a great talk. That's coming up in just a moment. I do have a question from a listener. His name's Justin. He says, Brad, my brother wants to marry the wrong person. What do I do? So, uh, you know, I'm not great at giving advice. I think that people have to have the room to make their mistakes, especially when it comes to relationship stuff. There's only so much you can do, but if it's really the wrong person and you really think he's headed for disaster and you're his brother, there is, I think, a way to express your concern without damaging the relationship with your brother. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, delicate. You have to choose your words wisely. I don't know if you write something down. I don't know if you try to say it. The, the, you know, the danger in saying something face-to-face is that you'll get emotional and you'll get carried away. If you write something, at least you can edit yourself 
and contain yourself and control tone. I have a friend who did this with, uh, like his best friend. Kind of like a uh, day before the wedding, like pulled him aside and was like, I don't know if you want to do this. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough when people, you know, when you care about somebody and you can see them making a mistake, like a very consequential mistake, but it's also like personal, it's their business. And, you know, you have to have some humility. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're not seeing something. Maybe this is going to actually work or not. I mean, I don't know. I'd have to have more context, but if you feel really strongly about it and you're his brother, I think there's a way to express your concern gently while also acknowledging that it's his call and you will support him, you know, whatever he does. I think that would be the approach I would take. So that way you can at least live with yourself. Like, look, you expressed your concern and then a year or two or three or five or whatever it is from now, when the relationship is fully imploded, your brother will look to you and be like, dude, you tried to tell me. And you'll be like, yes, I did. So that's my advice to you, Justin. And whether you do it in person or in writing, you know, I guess if you do it in person and you, and you say it, there's no uh, paper trail <laughs> because what if the relationship does work? They have like seven kids, they're blissfully happy. And then one day, you know, some letter that you wrote or some email about how much you think your brother's wife is not right for him. Or I don't know, is your, it, might, it might be a uh, husband. I don't know what your brother's orientation is, but you see what I'm saying. You, you have to make that call on your own. I wish you luck. This podcast is uh, offered freely. More than uh, 500 and what's, oh, no, like now it's 570 episodes, all available for free. You can listen online. You can listen via the free Other People app. You can listen via any like podcatcher, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, whatever it is. It's all free. If you would like to support the show, your support makes a difference. You can do that at patreon.com slash other PPL pod. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long awaited craft book by Steve Almond based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns, depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books.
My guest today is uh, Steve Anwell. His new novel, his debut, is available now from Tyrant Books. It is called Welfare, and it has been generating rave reviews. Uh, I'm very happy to have had the chance to sit down with Steve just as his career uh, gets underway. So here's my conversation with Steve Anwell. What do you think of it? I think you have this European idea of it, right? I love where it. Everybody yeah. sits on a cafe yeah, or it's something. It's like Sartre or whatever. You I, it's know? like the closest thing in North America to like Europe. Yeah, 100%. But I think people have a wrong idea about it. It's more European in the watch your money, people are going to scam you style. Do you know what I mean? Everybody's out to get you. Really? I, yeah, that's how I kind of feel. It's like, it's a scam city for sure. How long have you been there? Uh, my wife and I moved there, I think, six and a half years ago, maybe now. Okay. Yeah. Because I went for work. Because we were living in Toronto. And uh, I got fired. From what? Screen printing is what I do for like a, like a profession. So I like screen print t-shirts normally. So I got fired again at the sh- like from the shop. And I was like, well, fuck it. You know, like we can't afford to live in Toronto anymore because it's a lot like Los Angeles. It's very expensive. So I just went on Craigslist and I found a job in Montreal and we moved. Uh, doing screen printing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I keep doing the same thing because... It's easy for me. If I'm good at it enough to get jobs in shops, I can always support myself. It's not the greatest career in the world, I won't lie to you. But, but it's you know, steady. It's always steady. Yeah, I'll give you that. And, you know, it puts food on the table. And I don't mind it. It's fun. Like, I just sometimes it's not, you know, like any job, I guess, you know? Yeah, but, you know, having something to pay the bills that doesn't make you completely fucking insane. There's something to be said for that. Yeah, for sure. It's, way, it's super cool. I wouldn't want to, like, there's a lot of things out there that I've done. I'm glad I don't wash cars anymore. I'm glad I don't clean toilets anymore. So it's like screen printing. When I first got that job, too, like I've been doing it probably for like 16 years, I think. And I was like, fuck, yeah, I can do this. You know, like this is better than all the other jobs I've had. So what do you even do? I, like, I'm trying to imagine, like, do you have to make the cutouts for the... It's not that bad <laughs> anymore. You're not like cutting Ruby Lift by hand. Uh, you do everything in Illustrator that way. And then you make a transparency. And then you just put it on the film. You shoot that in like an exposure unit. Wash out the emulsion that doesn't cure. You've got your screen, and then you put it in and you start printing. I understood like 10% of what you just said. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> so you have to make like, a, I don't know, a transparency is like, say I had like, say my shirt wanted to say like my name, or like Tyrant Books, okay? Yeah. So I'd do black on like a, like a clear transparency and say Tyrant Books in the font. I'd print it out on this, like it's clear, and you just have the black, right? So then you put it on upside down on this film or on the uh, like the the screen printing like screen. Yeah. Then you put it into this machine that that's UV light. Okay. You turn it on and it goes for like let's say two to five minutes. That exposes everything without the black. So the black keeps you see whatever is black is left sort of. So then you put it into like this like washout station. You wash it with a pressure washer. Everything that was black washes out. So then you're left with whatever your design is. Did you make these? Because I've seen you, uh, there's some t-shirts for your book. Like, yeah, t- I You do. made those. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's a useful skill if you're out trying to promote a book. You can make some uh, screen prints 100%. and t-shirts. 100%. Like, I have a lot more merchandise. Like, I try to think of me as a writer more as, like, a punk band. Like, what would they show up with? Do you know what I mean? So, I, like, uh, I have shirts and prints and stuff, you know? I'm going to get you to make me some other people t-shirts. Cool. I'll do that for sure, man. Can you do that? Yeah, 100%. super easy. Your logo's really easy, too. It's, like, one color, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's no problem. All right. Cool. Look at you. You got a side hustle. Yeah, right? Always. Man. I don't like going to work, dude. So, like, because I also print from home, too. So, like, I have, like, a big dryer in my apartment. And, like, can you do graffiti this way, too? 
You know what? I've always thought of doing that because, like, stencil making, right? Yeah. So, like, because I always thought I could just make a stencil in the screen and cut the like the the actual silk screen out of the frame and just roll it up, put it in my pocket, and walk around and do whatever I wanted. But I just like isn't that how street artists are working these days? They have a stencil, they go out, they spray it. It seems like it. I don't really. I'm not hip to street art. I don't think necessarily. I but think like, you should start tagging your name all over Montreal. Maybe I'd be. It'd be a tough competition <laughs> there, dude. It's a heavily graffitied city. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I. uh I mean, I get that, like, some people don't want graffiti on their building, and they own the building, and they can do whatever they want with their building, but mm-hmm. I like the idea of public art. Like, as a, as a citizen, when somebody does some nice graffiti mm-hmm. on the side of a building, I'm always like, oh, great, they beautified this. Yeah, I think the same thing, too. It's interesting to see it. You know, it makes your city look a little bit different. And, like, the building I live in, you'd like it, because it looks like New York 1986. Like, just, like, full-up graffiti on everything outside. When we first moved in, there was graffiti from the floor to as high as you could touch in the, like, the hallways. Okay. And, like, everywhere. Like, really disgusting, horrible graffiti. And, like, <laughs> what, do guy, mean, what do you mean disgusting and horrible? Just, like, really, like, I don't know, vulgar stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, big cocks with jizz shooting all over the fucking place <laughs> and, like, tons of swearing and, like, really offensive things. And, like, a family building. Definitely not. Like, one time, I remember, like, some, like, like religious folks came in and knocked on the door and i was like dude you got to get out like this is a bad building for you to be in like, yeah. nobody's going to take this very well you know and did they come in oh, i just i was like you got to go take it easy you know what i mean like <laughs> have a nice day but uh, <laughs> I, you know i'm not buying what you're selling or whatever you know i always yeah I've, I've had like jehovah's witnesses come to my door maybe some mormons a couple times and like i always like I either invite them in or like stand there talking for a while I have this impulse to want to just like indulge it. You're nicer than me. I won't indulge it. You I'm won't. just, you know, it's no, not at all. I'm fascinated by people who can go that far. You're knocking on doors. You know, that's intense. That's you, the worst thing in the world. You're wearing magic underwear. Yeah. And it's a cold call every time, oh. right? Like nobody wants you to come to their door. Nobody. What they say, like with banner ads, like what is it? Like point, like 1% of banner ads or a fraction of 1% actually like deliver a conversion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what is the what is the hit rate? It's probably the same, unless so, someone's already like pretty keen on Jesus or whatever, you know, like or Joseph Smith. Yeah, whoever, you know what I mean. It's Zeno. like you're not going to convert me because you came to my door. Yeah, like I don't think that that's a really good way to get people to like, into your ideals. You well, know what I mean? Well, the the Scientologists like they go to like disaster zones. It's like there's a there's like a tsunami and like then they're suddenly there when everyone's like at their most vulnerable. That's super smart. <laughs> right. Like you can't like that's amazing. You know what I mean? Like you're going to get people that way. You're not going to get the guy in his house with his feet up on his you know, yeah, footstool, yeah, reading the paper and <laughs> no, sorry, you know, like, you need somebody who's just like like standing in a daze in like town square. Yeah, right. You need someone down and out. That's when you find religion. You know, people yeah. in prison find religion. So you got no religion? No, I grew up in like my father was an atheist. So uh, I didn't really grow up in a home that had... But sometimes I feel like atheism is a kind of a religion. Like it, Any, Anything's a religion if you really want to boil it down. Do you but, know what I mean? But, but it was, it like, was it more like just like there was just no religion in the house or was it like dogmatic atheism? No, total low-key. Like, yeah. he doesn't... My father's not the type of man who would be like, this is my opinion. You know what I mean? He just yeah. keeps his mouth shut. He just didn't... He grew up in like the Catholic system and he found it to be like kind of like false. Yeah, I grew up in the Catholic system. So he had, like, he'd been kicked out of a lot of Catholic schools. And his, his, his famous story is that, like, his friend had this farm out in the country, and they would, they'd go out there to hang out or do whatever the fuck they did. And the farm next was owned by the diocese, and it's where they'd send pregnant nuns. Really? So to him, he's like, well, that's bullshit, that you get to have this kid. Like, you did everything that you're not supposed to do in the Catholic, you know, as a nun, 
you have this ch- the child and they that they still let you back in. Do you know what I mean? They it, could still be nuns. Yeah. What, just, what happens to the kid? Well, the adoption. I assume. You know what I mean. I wasn't there, but like, and then he also had problems with like his father was a drunk, so. He said his father could drink and be a piece of shit Monday through Saturday night, but as long as he came in on Sunday morning and made his confession, then it was all good with God. But like to my dad, you know, that doesn't that doesn't add up, you know? Yeah. It right. doesn't add up to me either, you know? No. So did you where did you grow up? Uh in a small town in southern Ontario. Okay. So right. similar to Stan. That book is where I grew up, you know what I mean? It's very similar to my life. Is the story uh fairly similar? Does it hew to life or do you deviate? Hey, you got to deviate. It's a book, you know what I mean? But, like, yeah, it's pretty close. Like, I didn't, maybe for, like, oh, but it didn't work here. Like, things that happened, you know what I mean? So to, like, create the full story of it, like, thir- like things don't happen when they necessarily happen. Or, like, maybe something happens because it's more climatic. Because my life, and your life isn't always climatic, you know? So, yeah, I had to change some things. Nothing's, like, it's a novel at the end of the day. Yeah. I didn't write a memoir. Yeah. So who would read that? <laughs> I'm, I'm writing. I think I'm. I don't know if I'm writing a memoir right now or a you know autobiographical novel. But I'm just like switch it to the autobiographical novel, dude. People like that better. I it's think. all fiction. Like this is what I was talking about with Brad Phillips. It's all fiction. Well, what do you remember? I mean, like it's like not much, right? Because especially if you're going back 20 years, like I don't know. It's like a lot. Of, a lot happens to you, and like you remember things a certain way. And I don't know if it's right. You know, it's the way I remember it. You know, so. It's funny because I had someone write me from the book and was like, you did a good job on, like, capturing me. I was a piece of shit at that time. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, that's, that's nice of him to write or whatever. You know, he's like, I've been 10 years sober and whatnot. So that's cool. You know, you captured my full shittiness and all of its splendor. Yeah. He actually was like, oh, I'm surprised you didn't add in this other story where he was like a piece of shit. You know what I mean? It's like apex piece of shit style, you know? So like, and he was like, I was just like, I didn't work. You know, I, I, I couldn't put it in there, too. So what kind of kid were you? Probably a bad one, but, like, I don't know. I don't think I was easy to get along with, you know, but uh, quiet. I don't know. I kept to myself. I didn't have a lot of friends, you know. Loner, I guess. Okay. I don't know. And what did your dad do? He was a factory worker, just like in the book, dude. Yeah. Yeah. He worked at the Ford Motor Company for, like, 25 years. Back when you could do that, though. Dude, I'm so jealous of that. If I could walk into a factory today and make the kind of money that he made to, like, and to think how much he screwed around there, do you know what I mean? And, like, the stories he'd come home with and was shit. It, was it a union job? Of course it's, yeah, see, uh, Canadian auto workers, right? Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, it was just you get away with murder there, and like, you still come home with over 60 grand at the end of the year, do you know, and you get a cheaper car or whatever and all this bullshit, you know? Like, I wish I could do that. Yeah. I basically work in a factory, but I don't get zero of those benefits, do you know what I mean? All those benefits have been squeezed out, at least in the States. I don't know if Canada's any better. <sighs> you know, if you have a government job... Or you have, yeah, a government job or a postman. Even the post office in Canada, it's gone to shit, too. That's not a good job anymore. Well, that's kind of how it is in the States. I mean, yeah. it's like the politicians have the benefits. Yeah. They definitely take care of themselves. Well, of course. You know what I mean? The regular man, we don't need benefits. You have to pay for your health care. At least we can walk in the door and get service, whether yeah. I'm broke or not. Is it know? good? It's not great. Like, I broke my wrist. <laughs> this is good stuff. I broke my wrist. I went to the hospital. The triage nurse was like, you shouldn't even be here. This is a joke. You're not, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm like, well, whatever. That's your opinion. So then I saw the doctor. It took five or six hours sitting in an emergency to, to like see a doctor and get a cast and everything. And when I was done, I was like, oh, I got to go see this triage nurse. I'm going to go rub it in her fucking face, you know? But she had gone home by then. How'd you break your wrist? Uh, I hit a car on my bicycle. And uh, I just went up over like the handlebars. And I just tapped my wrist on like his front quarter panel. And I just, I had like a hairline fracture in my wrist. 
So then I went like two weeks later or whatever. I, I got to go to like the, the hospital to get like a, they're going to really assess me at this point, you know? So I go in there and this guy's like, yep, we're going to do surgery. So they take a saw, they cut my cast up, they tape it on. And like, you're going to get a call. And like within the next two weeks, you're going to go in for surgery. I was like, all right, fine. Two weeks comes and goes like nothing. So I'm like, all right, let's come back. You know, the healthcare here isn't known to be really good. So I was like, I'll wait and I'll wait. And it's, it gets to like five, six weeks. And at that point, you know, my wrist is healed. That's, you know, it doesn't take any longer than that. So I'm like, well, I, you got to do something. I can't have this cast on my arm forever. And so I was like, I, you, so to find out if I was registered for surgery, I had to call the doctor on call for surgery that day. So it's like they're in between surgeries if they even answer your call, right? And they're super stressed. And you're like, well, am I on this list? And like, we've never heard of you. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you're really selling me on single payer here. Yeah, right? <laughs> so like, so then they're like, well, you better make, we'll make an appointment for you. You got to go back to like the... Uh, you know, the hospital again. I was like, fine, that's, you know, whatever. So then when you get there, too, it's like another two to three hour wait, even if you have an appointment. If it's your appointment's 11.15, you're getting in there at one or two o'clock, you know. So finally, I, I get in this little room, and there's two surgeons in there, and they're like <laughs> sitting around at me. And the one guy goes, you know, Steve, you just fell through the cracks. And I was like, I knew it. I got you, man. And I said that to him, too. And he's like, oh, and he sighed. And I'm like, I knew Quebec health. I was like, I wanted to really like be keen on Quebec healthcare, and he's. But I'm like, it fucking sucks, dude. And he's like, Oh, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from Ontario. And he just sighed, you know, because he knew like in that province the healthcare is better, but you're still going to spend like the five hours. In so it. it's different from province to province. Yeah, for sure. And like, what you like, like Quebec's more socialist, so you have to have health insurance there. So if I don't have health insurance through a job, I have to have health insurance through the province. So then I have to pay for like X amount of dollars, depending on how much money I made that year. Do you know what I mean? I thought it was free. That's free. That's free. Yeah. That's as free as it gets. Ontario is a little bit different. Like I never had to pay anything, you know, maybe at the end of the year tax. No, not even if you were like rich, maybe you might pay into like the healthcare. How much out of pocket, like for you a year just goes into healthcare? Uh, the first out of like what I actually use or what I would pay. Just what, what, what bottom line. Uh, I think the first year my wife and I were in Quebec, we paid $750 to be in there their health their like their system what did we use nothing but you paid your seven but still 750 is nothing no not at all at the end of the year do you i know pay what i mean? pay twice that a month yeah for my family i don't know how i could i don't know how anybody lives in america it's sad really yeah it's fucked up it's really sad especially when like cuba has better health care or something like that <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it's hard you know it's hard to insure everybody and then make the system efficient but like can can rich people in Canada buy better access, or is it like pretty much even for everybody? I think in Ontario, there's the ability to maybe go buy better access. Quebec, I don't think so. I, I don't know enough about it to like quote me on this. Okay, but like I know, like my wife's uncle, when he wanted gastric bypass surgery, he came to New York. Oh really? Yeah, they weren't going to give it to him in Canada, so he's like, "Fine, I'll go to New York." Well, that's I, like an. Un I mean, I guess maybe that could be medically necessary, but some of that stuff is cosmetic. Yeah, cosmetic surgeries never occur or never covered in canada it isn't no never so you can't get like i can't get a tuck or something no you couldn't get like a tattoo removal or anything like that <laughs> or like uh yeah no breast implants nothing like that damn. you know but you can smoke for 50 years and maybe get a new lung for free damn. well you know right? you know it's but better it's better than the alternative i guess it's better than me having to i would have to work way harder i think to live if i had to like worry about my health care right at least this way it's like a bit of like you have a security blanket in a way Right. Like, if I break my leg, I'm just going to go to hospital. Like, when I went to the hospital and I broke my arm, my health card was expired. But they didn't even tell me. They had to take me as a Canadian citizen. And I didn't find out for, like, six weeks later when I had to go back to the hospital. Like, well, we can't accept you here. 
because emergency they have to take you, but here you actually need a valid health card. And I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So you uh, grow up in Canada, land of single-payer health care. <laughs> You're a quiet kid, small fishing village. Dad has a union job at a Ford factory. Yeah. Where's, was mom in the picture? Uh, no, my mom died shortly after I was born. Oh, she did? Yeah. How'd she die? Uh, cancer. Okay. Um, so you never knew her? Like, No, not at all. I barely have stories about her. Okay. Like, my dad doesn't really talk about her, and, like, my older sister still, she's pretty reticent to talk about her, too, I think. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, you know, that's life, I guess. I mean... You're going to make me cry, though, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that shit happens, man. I'm sorry about that. That's all right, you know. It's, other people have it worse. I, I say that, too, but it's like, it still sucks. Suffering is suffering. That's the thing. Everybody, everybody suffers. It doesn't matter. You know, you can be the richest person on the face of the planet. You're still going to suffer in some way. Sometimes I meet people... To whom, like, nothing really shitty has happened. And I'm like, wow. Like, part of me is like, wow, lucky you. Yeah, right? But then the other part of me is like, you're going to get yours. That's what, that's me right there. I'm like, oh, just, I'm waiting on it. Do you know what I mean? It's like rubbing my hands together the whole nine yards, you know? Like, I can't wait for that. Come up and... Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, no, if you stick around long enough... Right? You know? It's, it's it has get to you. Yeah, or you die a horrible way, maybe. Maybe that's your comeuppance. Or you don't stick around long enough, you know? I don't think people, myself included... Like, this is my mindset lately. It's like, I don't got to really remember, like, I'm going to fucking die. And it could happen, like, at any moment. Yeah, that's a scary thought, eh? I think I think of it more <laughs> now that I'm, like, I'm nearing 40. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I see myself in, like, a position where, like, what I've seen my father and what he would have been more scared when I was younger. Like, no, you can mouth off this total stranger and it won't matter. And my dad would be like, no, you can have a, you know, you could stab you or whatever. You know what I mean? Because your life becomes more precious as you get older because, you know, it's coming to an end you know yeah like there's uh you know you realize i guess it's normal you for you hit 40 i mean it's like the old cliche you start to have a greater sensitivity but it doesn't matter if you're 25 it doesn't matter if you're 45 you can be wiped out at any second and it's just yeah there's like just this like thin little membrane between life and death like i think it was like about a month ago maybe two this guy i went to high school with he's probably four years younger than me took a nap never woke up what was it I don't know to this day. I'm not close enough to them. And, like, anybody, nobody's come forth and told me exactly what it was or anything. But, like... You think it was opiates? I don't. He was... I, maybe... I haven't known him for the last 10 years or so, but um, I, can, I couldn't see him being an opiate addict. Do you know what I mean? He just fell asleep and never woke up. You know, four kids, a wife. Sleep apnea, maybe. Yeah, who knows, you know? He was a big dude, though. That's so, maybe right? apnea. Right? So, yeah, actually, I never even thought of that, you know, apnea, but totally. Got to get a CPAP. I guess, dude. I don't know. Yeah, those things are hardcore. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my father in law, uh, R.I.P. He didn't die of sleep apnea, but he had a CPAP. Okay. So when they would come to visit, he would have like the gear. Jesus, it's like this the big mask and everything, yeah. right? Like yeah. the Darth Vader style <laughs> shit. My wife says I have sleep apnea because I'm a terrible sleeper. She's like, that's probably what you got. Do you make noises and stuff? Uh, she says I'm a snorer, you know. Uh -huh. But I think that's that's I think that's because I'm a drunk. You got to get a CPAP. And I'm fucking getting nothing, dude. <laughs> she can put up with it, man. <laughs> I would never sleep with that thing on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I couldn't. I'm too sensitive. Yeah, I don't know how people sleep. It's like, I mean, I could barely sleep as a kid when I had braces and I had to wear a headgear. Yeah, I could see that, too. That would be tough for me. Just like any kind of thing on your face. Yeah, I don't do, you know, I can wrap a blanket around my head or whatever, but like yeah. some sort of weird mask. No, thanks. You, you a know? good sleeper? No, terrible. I'm such a light sleeper. I like I'm realizing that or at least lately, like sometimes I go into cycles where like I'm sleeping pretty well. But lately, it's like the smallest noise. I can uh, sleep through anything. 
I just don't get like more than four hours in a stretch. My body will just get up and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I better do some stuff. It's two in the morning or whatever, you know, you get up. Yeah, for sure. What am I going to do? Roll around in bed, you know, keep my wife up. I don't know. I that's like kind of rude. I like read Twitter. Yeah, that's a good time. to. I don't go on Twitter that late. I don't know. I'll just read a book maybe or watching TV or something. You, you turn know? on your, but you like, you have to get out of bed. You can't like turn the light on when your wife is sleeping. No, I get out of bed and I go down. Like we, <laughs> we sleep in like a mezzanine because I live in a loft, right? So we have like a single, like a main floor, second floor. And then we have like a mezzanine on the top. That's just a ladder where our bed is. Okay. So I have to like crawl down a ladder in the dark, like half drunk at like <laughs> two in the morning. I do that often. <laughs> You drink? Do you drink every day? Yeah, pretty much these days. I'm not proud of that, but it maybe sounded like I was. But yeah, <laughs> Quebec's just like it is a big drinking culture there, so it's really well, easy to drink. It's fucking thirty below zero. What are you gonna do? It's pretty depressing. You know what I mean? There's <laughs> there's another one. This musician Coulter Wall. He's like a Canadian country musician, and one line is like. Uh, Every December, it gets harder to put the bottle down. And I was like, yeah, it really does. Because, like, every winter is just worse. And do you do anything outside? Like, can you, like, what happens in Montreal? Everyone's just inside. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's pretty funny because, like, the first big thaw, it's like, holy shit, there are a lot of people in this city, man. Because, like, you don't, you don't see anybody, really. Like, there's nobody on the streets. There's less cars. It's, I don't know, it's also a culture of people who are, like, very prone to call into work sick or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Where there's, like, if it's raining, people won't. They'll just get, yeah, fuck it, I'm not going in, do you know what I mean, kind of thing. So if it's like... That's the French. I think. It is a bit. of The French, they have a mentality of where they don't... I can, I commend it. I hate working, too, you know what I mean? But, like, I don't know, I called in the work, like, two weeks ago because it was 30 below freezing in Canada. That's which, too much. Oh, me. yeah, I got Nobody. to the bus, and I was just like, oh, you know what? Like, fuck this. I did it yesterday, and I'm not doing it again today. It's not even safe. Yeah, I don't think so, really. Because I tried to fly to Kansas last week, right? And it was that polar vortex bullshit. And, like, add the, all the ground crews in Toronto went home because it was, like, negative 30 out or something like that. It's yeah. just, like, so all these flights were canceled. Yeah, as they should be. Well, I was kind of bummed out. I wanted to go to Kansas to read. <laughs> but, like, I just flew to Toronto to eat a chicken dinner and go home, basically, you know? That's it how it was. Of, it was a bummer, yeah. Where were you going in Kansas? Lawrence. Uh-huh. Yeah. What was that? Like, how did that happen? Uh, this like, book club was like, we want you to come out. We'll buy a plane ticket. And I was like, sure, I'll go. You know, who's going to turn that down? Yeah. I'm just some small town Canadian boy. I never thought I'd make it to fucking Kansas, dude. Get out of here, man. <laughs> we were like going around LA last night and like, they're asking us like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. I never thought I'd ever come here. You know, <laughs> it's, that's, it's, it's very surreal to me. What are your impressions? Do you like it? I like how wide the streets are, like all the avenues are. It's really neat. I like a lot of the architecture is cool. I like how low it is. Yeah, that's really neat. Like the single story, two story buildings, because like out east, you don't really get that. Like the really wide streets, that's not really eastern either. Shows how new the city is, I guess. You know, it seems like I mean, LA's what? It's over a hundred years old, which isn't very old in, no. the, in the earthly scheme of things. But it just feels like one of these places that's always going to feel new, even like five hundred years from now. I could see that the whole it's the Hollywood kind of thing vibe. You know what I mean? And like it's always going to change. You know, I think I can't. I don't know. It's just a it's a weird city. You know, I've yeah. been here a night, so I can't really comment too much on it. You <laughs> You're know? not a full authority. Yeah, I don't really have a. I could just be running my mouth here. You know, it's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, the architecture. There is a lot of actually like for people who are into architecture, there are supposedly i mean or not even supposedly there are many like houses and buildings that are um like renowned yeah, yeah. And you can do architecture tours but there's no uniformity like in los angeles you can kind of build whatever the fuck you want there's no like city codes and there's no uniformity so you can have like a colonial house right next to like this big boxy modern house right next to 
you know, yeah, like some Spanish villa or whatever, yeah, right? But yeah. I, I kind of like that. Super eclectic. Or you get like, you just said it, like a massive house. And the next one's like this tiny little like two-room house, you know? And I think that's really cool because then it's like there's probably a bunch of different people all living around in the same area. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel like people, you know, what happens is people buy these littler houses. They knock them down. They put the bigger houses on the property and... Yeah, I guess you that know, makes sense it's too. Like changing out, there's there's no more there's no more land to build on, so it's like you got yeah, where you're gonna go, right? Yeah. So, uh, okay. So you, as a kid, um, are you writing? Are no. you thinking about writing? Yeah, I think I always thought about writing. I like I tell a story, and like I was a kid, and I was like, ah, I want to write books because I was really into like Stephen King or whatever, you know. I was like, I want to do that. And then I just remember a voice in my head is like, no, you can't do that. You know what I mean? That's not for people like you or whatever. So Stephen King was like the origin story for you. Maybe, I guess. I don't know. I just read all my like older sister's cast offs because she's like, shit. Yeah, she's 11 years older than me, I think. Maybe nine or 11. I don't know. But anyway, so she was into more advanced stuff than me. So it's like I, I wanted, like, she's my older sister. I looked up to her or whatever. So, like, I just would read anything that she had laying around. So it tended to be, like, The Dead Zone or, like, you know, Pet Cemetery or whatever, Cujo, shit like that. So that was a lot of my, like, earlier novel reading would have been that kind of stuff. You know? I, re I remember reading The Shining in, like, junior high and, like, actually, like, going down into my living room with like my like family and they're watching TV. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like too scared. to read. That's too funny. They're <laughs> creepy when you're a kid. Yeah. I like that stuff. Those a kid because there was no, like there was no censorship to it. Like the wildest stuff can happen in a book. Whereas like TV, they kept it pretty tame. Like, especially when I was a kid, it was like 1986 or whatever. You know? Well, and there's like, yeah, your parents are, you know, like they're always like, Oh, you're reading good. Right, it'd like, be the most smut you've ever seen. You know, it's like full of sex. Yeah, I was gonna like, say someone's getting mutilated. Yeah, here. you know, well, you're watching like you know the facts of life or whatever. Well, but he's reading. Yeah, but he's know, reading. That's good, right? <laughs> it's a good skill to have. You know. So okay, so that sort of put like turns the light on, but you don't believe you can do it. No. When did you start to believe that you could? Probably when I was thirty. I got when I got fired in Toronto. I was like, I was collecting unemployment. I was just like, I'd always kind of toyed around with writing and I'd probably written for a couple of websites at that point, or maybe not even, no, not even. So I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to write this. I'm going to write because I got all this time. I'm just collecting unemployment checks, you know? So, and there's like the, like CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, they'll put on like a, uh, like a writing contest and stuff like that. So like, I was like, I'll write this short story. I'm so hot. I'm going to fucking win this. You know what I mean? And then like, clearly you don't, you know what I mean? Like, obviously. But I just, you know, I found it enjoyable enough to keep doing it. And then I'd like, I'd so, submit enough where nobody was like, you stink, dude, stop. So I just kept doing it. Were you, were you getting some yeses? It took a minute, you know what I mean? More nonfiction stuff was easy for me to get like yeses in, you know what I mean? If it was just like an essay, I think they're a little, I don't know, hoity-toity about that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Literature can like, can look down its nose at you a bit, you know what I mean? So yeah, I got some yeses and there's nothing I'm really proud of, you know what I mean? And I won't be like showing them to anybody. You yeah, know but you mean? get you get started. Everybody's gotta start somewhere and like I didn't go to university or anything, so that was my training, you know? Yeah. That's all you need. You don't need university to no. you need to read and write. Yeah, exactly. You need university if you want to be like an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer, but like an art career? No. You know, you can you can go on, you can always find stuff that you like and make art. You know, I don't think you need some stuffy old guy with tenure telling you like, this is art or that's not art or you're no good. Like I had like in, 
I was good at drawing as a kid, so I was really into that. And then, like, by the time I got into high school, like, my art teachers were just such cunts about it. You know what I mean? Like, you got to do this and you got to do that. And I failed grade 10 art, like, fucking five times, dude. I kept taking it. I was resilient. You know what I mean? But I f- kept failing it. And I'd fail it worse every single time, you know? But, like, I kept at it. And, like, I'm probably the only one now that I know that may have still, like, of a lot of the kids back then who still makes art, you know? Yeah, I, I think, like... I mean, I, I, I've talked to many fine writers who went the academic route, and I think you can do it that way. But I feel like you have a better chance of making interesting art if you kind of forge your own path. Yeah, because you're not like, I don't know, you're not stuck in this school of like thought. You have your own school of thought, right? Because it's like, oh, I like this guy or this girl or like, that was cool or I like this movie. I like this record, or maybe I want it to sound like this. So I like that. That was a cool, like a concept record is a good thing to like think about when you're writing, I think, you know? So it's like you have all these other influences that you can take into it, and you have nobody telling you whether it's good or bad, or you should use it or anything. I like that, you know? Trust yourself. You didn't have any kind of writing community? I don't know. I guess I have friends, you know what I mean? But like, I don't really. Like friends who write in Canada? Like... No, all internet people. I don't really know a single writer in Canada other than like people jeans published you know what i mean and that's because he published them it's so big that you, there's no real like i don't like the scene in montreal i don't fit in there why so, not it's just not for me it's more you know what it's like the last place alt lit died it was it's like i feel like it's last <laughs> vestige of like it has a stronghold there you know and uh, i just don't it doesn't suit me you know what i mean that's not to say people there aren't nice or whatever and like come read montreal fucking tons of people will show up tons like way more than in new york for sure i've been disappointed in new york when i go to readings there and it's like that's because there's a million readings so what it is or it's not even that's so, well i can go see this cool band tonight or like maybe i'll just stay. it doesn't matter there's something awesome to do every single night that's why i was stoked on lawrence man that would have been a good reading because like who goes to lawrence zero people Unless they're gonna appreciate it way more you know yeah well i mean I, they, like i've heard and read like bands and comedians always say like los angeles is one of the worst cities to play because everyone's all jaded and, you know. That's exactly it. Like New York, Toronto, any of those cities. When you have too much to do, it's really easy for you to be like, nah, I'll just stay in, you know. Because, like, something cool will be here tomorrow or tomorrow or whatever, you know. I don't know. It's like, and yeah, same thing with our sports teams. Like, nobody, like, everybody kind of, like, shows up at halftime, like, leaves early. Like, <laughs> Is it expensive to go see a sports game? Yeah, there? yeah. And it's, like, a pain in the ass to get there. And, like, I don't know. I just feel like L.A., like, I come from uh, the upper Midwest. Okay. So I was born in Milwaukee. Right, right. And it's sort of, you know, I'm sure it's similar to Southern Ontario. Yeah. You really like people get into it. The winters are hard. And if there's something to do, you'll go. It could be a barn dance. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just like, shit, it's boring here. I got to get out of the house. Have you, know? you been to a barn dance? No, okay. maybe in like a summer camp or something like that. But like, I can't imagine me, Steve at fucking 18 <laughs> shuffling on down to the barn dance. I want to go to a barn dance. 40-year-old Steve would probably go, you know. I was really punk rock back then, so that would have been, like, the antithesis of where I would go. Were you, were you a violent kid? Probably, yeah. What do you mean, probably? You well, know. yeah. Every, isn't every little boy violent? I wasn't. Oh. I was, like, terrified to get in a fight. Fights out? Yeah, I don't know. I was probably... Ah, yeah, I wasn't a big fighter, but I would still probably quantify myself as violent. How so? <laughs> That's the door you don't want to open? Um, uh... I don't know, I'd pick on kids and shit like that, or like, you know, I don't know, standard kid stuff. I just like violent things, too. Were you, were you a like, bully? I was bullied, and then probably in later life I'd become a bully. Yeah. I think that that's the natural course, because you have to 
I think, because even now my wife is like, you got to chill out on these confrontations, dude. You know, like, like with whom? Like, give me an example. Oh, anybody. If somebody even remotely wrongs me or if I think I've been like, like anyway, slighted out in public, I'm, I'm fucking yelling at you or like, what the fuck is your problem? You know, I'm really quick to anger, you know, like at, a, at like the airport or something or. Yeah. At the airport, actually, my wife was like, you got to chill out, dude, because this woman was like, she's like trying to get me to do the check in with the stupid fucking machine. I just wanted to talk to the man at the desk. He wasn't doing anything. You know, there's not a lineup. He's yeah. Like, what does it matter? And I'm like, I just want to talk to this human, you know? Yeah. She's like, I'm a human. And I was like, well, I don't want to use this. I just want you to do it. I just paid, like, a lot of money for these plane tickets. And now I have to fucking check myself in. Like, yeah, right. want this. He's not doing anything, man. And it's like, <laughs> I walked away. And then clearly the woman thought I was rude or whatever. And my wife's like, yeah, you got to calm down. But that's not even a bad one, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, well, give me an example of a bad one. Getting and yelling at someone? I got into a fight with this guy in my hall like a week ago, I guess, because, well, we were sitting around. This isn't, I guess, I had a right to be mad at this guy, though, I think. Definitely had a right. Because it goes back to the graffiti. So we're sitting in my, like, like my apartment. I'm cooking some dinner for my wife and her friend, and it's like, all you can smell is spray paint. It's like, oh, fuck. Are you, sitting, are you kidding me, man? So my wife's complaining. Her friend's like, oh, this sucks. It smells really bad in here. Dinner's, like, pretty much ruined, you know? So I'm like, oh, fuck it. Now I got to go fucking fight a guy in the hall again, you know? Because it's not the first time. I get into a lot of fights and, like, people in the halls just doing rude shit. These people live there? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Like, I've had to throw out homeless people on multiple occasions who just, like... You write about this. Yeah, 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 all the time. Because it's, like, it's Did a I really that? interesting... Was it, like, your Hobart call? Yeah, 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 that guy. Because they, they set up shop, you know what I mean? It's, like, I can go to the landlord and they'll be, like, sure, we'll get rid of them. But 5 o'clock rolls around, they just move back in because the landlord's not there. They're not dumb. So this guy's spray-painting in the hall. I fucking... F I throw open the door. And the guy from across the hall is out there, and I'm like, oh, thank heavens, finally, some backup with this guy, you know what I mean? So then it's just like a big yelling exchange with this stupid asshole with his face tattoo, fucking spray painting his stupid fucking tag in the hall, and like... Face tattoo, huh? Over people's doors, you know, and like, we're yelling at this guy, and then like, this other guy down the hall comes out, whose door is getting spray painted over, you know what I mean? And he's just like, mm, and it's like, you are such a pussy, man, like, <laughs> fucking come out and say something, you know? Like, I don't know. So that's not pretty... Like, Did you throw a punch? No, I didn't get to that. The guy was like, the other guy went at him, you know, and he's like, oh, what are you going to do, kill me, man? And it's like, you know, these people are, right? Yeah. And it just kind of devolved into this thing where he's just grunting at me. Like, I was just, like, trying to have a civil conversation with him. Do you know what I mean? And then, like, See, he... That's, that's what I think I would have tried to do. See, I, like, I kind of admire people who somebody's like spray painting your door you open the door and you say get the fuck out of here right you know like, i like to think i would do that but sometimes I'm, i think i'm too big of a pussy i'm like hey man would you please and i've tried that you know what normally i'm the guy like i was trying to be nice because i'm trying to like be better or whatever so i was like i'll, I'll go this nice road because normally i'm the guy who comes out i'm like get the fuck out of here dude what is your problem you know what i mean like and they usually go i bet yeah it's because it's usually like i'm gearing myself up to deal with like like a homeless guy or somebody like made with mental problems or something. But half the time, it's just some fucking stuck up white kid who's fucking probably chosen to be, in my opinion. Do you know what I mean? Or it's like, you chose to get that face tattoo. It's not my problem. You live on the streets anymore. You know what I mean? That's like, like, like you're crossing, like there's some sort of like line that you're crossing when you get a face tattoo. You know, that's a job, job ender, dude. Yeah. You know, like it used to be a hand tattoo or knuckle tattoos, but you can get away with that now. But like your fucking face has got a dragon on it, dude. You're probably <laughs> not getting a job at the bank. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, you're, you're foreclosing on a lot of possibilities. Oh, your future's over. You know what I mean? Like, cause I, when I was younger, if you got like arm tattoos it was basically a job ender you know what i mean but you like, got tattoos yeah i'm pretty tattooed yeah but, that's um, right you got like sleeves yeah well just one but um you know those were job enders back then but now it's like 
the kid at the grocery store has full sleeves and his neck's tattooed and his hair's purple. You know what I mean? I feel I, like I've, I've said this before, but I feel like uh, a sense of inferiority, like artistically and creatively around people with tattoos. Why? I don't know. I just feel like, wow, they know, like they, they have a vision or no, they can commit. Really? You're going to regret those <laughs> tattoos one day. You know, that's all part of the process. You know, did you draw yours? No, a lot of them because I lived with a tattooer for like a good portion of my 20s or whatever. So we were like best friends and he just tattooed me. He was a good tattooer and a good artist. So I just was like, fucking tattoo me, dude. Yeah. Well, if I guess if I had lived with somebody who could do it. That was, I would never pay for it. It seems it's such like a privileged thing to have because it's so expensive. Right? Do you feel good about them now? Or do you, uh, I'm trying you... to black a few of them out just because I find them, I don't really like them. I've blacked some out too, like went over them, you know what I mean? But like, I'm tattooed. What am I going to do? You know what I mean? I don't care. So, I think they look kind of cool. Sleeves are cool. I guess, you know, I don't like kind of what the culture became because like originally I would have got tattooed as like uh, a deterrent for people to talk to me. But I feel like that's changed a lot over the last 10 years because like everybody has tattoos now and it's not just like a scary guy down at the wharf, you know, I mean, that's who I wanted to be, you know, like, so I wanted to be left have, alone. You have like the wharf. Yeah. Uh, like, you can't take the fisherman out of me. I was in that village. There's no, I have to get like, I'll meet people from Halifax, like Canada and they'll be like, oh, are you from Halifax, man? I'm like, no, dude, I'm just from a small fishing village. I'm like, are you sure? You really got an East coast vibe, man. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like I'm holding out. So like eventually, like now that everybody's got tattoos. Eventually, like people without tattoos are going to be edgy. That's the thing, right? If I was like 19 or 17 or 15 right now, there's no, you wouldn't catch me getting a tattoo. See, I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of the curve. Right? Like it's just I'm playing the, the long game. Yeah, exactly. But then I guess, you know, four generations from now, people get tattooed again. Do you uh, fish? Like, did you grow up on boats and fishing and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'd go down to the creek and fish. Or like I, my dad was like, he had the little cabin cruiser and he'd go out on Lake Erie and like troll or whatever. Yeah. So are you like out, are you outdoorsy? Do you I have? do like to be outdoors. I hate the city. Honestly, I'd, if it wasn't like screen printing, unfortunately is like kind of married to the city. It's easier to get a job there than like small town anywhere. Cause like there's no shops there. So I'm kind of married to that, but I would much prefer to be out outside of the city where I can breathe. I do better in like a national park or something. You know, I like that. I feel better. Where would you live if you could live anywhere? Do you have that in your head? I often say to my wife, if we're going to be poor and we don't speak the language, let's move to South America because like, at least it's hot. You know what I mean? I would move somewhere warm, but if I was stuck in Canada, I'd probably live in rural Quebec. I've been thinking about Mexico city. That'd be cool. It'd be intense, right? I guess. I don't know. It seems kind of beautiful. And just people who live there haven't even been out of it. You know what I mean? It's so big, you know? Yeah, it is a big city. I'd like that. I don't know. I like South America. I think it'd be a cool place to live like Chile or something. Have you Peru? been there? No. Just the, the just, South America just, of the imagination. Yeah, just the one in my head, you know. It's like Kafka's America. I have this, like, but a nicer version, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, ca I can't figure out the place. I keep thinking, like, where do I want to be? What the, like, what's the place? You think you're just supposed to make the place you are the best. I, that's what I'm trying to do. You seem to be doing a good job of it. You know? All right. I like the mountains. I, 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 like, that's one thing that like, I consistently think is that wherever I live, I sort of need to have like a mountain close. I need a body water. Yeah. I can't, like, I don't like, I couldn't live landlocked. That's really crazy to me. Wait, is it sad that I don't even know if Montreal is land? Montreal's on... Oh, uh, we live in a river. We're an island. Oh. It's like, yeah. I was going to say, it's not coastal. No, it's St. Lawrence. The St. Lawrence. It goes around on either side. And that's enough of a body of water for you? It's enough. I don't need, like, a, the ocean or anything. Because I grew up on, like, Lake Erie, right? So it's not like, it's a big lake. But, like, I could do just as well with, like, a smaller lake. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You ice fish? 
No, dude. That's insane. Why would I go out there on that? <laughs> My wife's from Minnesota. Her okay. Br- her brother is, uh, what does he do? Be He's big like, out there, right? Eh? What's that? I think my dad used to ice fish and be bigger. Like it seems like an American thing to me. Yeah. Well, no, he, he does that, but he's also, uh, he's like a water patrol. Like he saves people okay. uh, out on the lakes. But in the winter, like he puts on like a scuba suit and goes like underwater to like fish people out in the dead of winter. That's commendable. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't catch me doing that. Uh, we're talking like, I don't even know how cold that water is, but brutal. Yeah, dude. No, thanks. <laughs> I took a cold shower today. I thought I was going to die, but he'll tell stories. He'll be like, yeah, we, you know. Some drunk guy drove his car out onto the lake and fell through the ice and died. What an amazing story, dude. Just miserable, though. But they're good. See, I wish people like that wrote more books. Yeah. Because I think those are more interesting stories to me, I think. Like some guy who fucking fishes out corpses out of a lake for a living. Right. That would be a good book, you know? I know. There's a good book there. Well, but, you know, you have to... Like, I feel like, and maybe you disagree, but in order to do the work of writing a book... Like, A, you have to have a lifestyle and, a, like, a financial situation that allow for the time. It's a lot of time. Like, I, I barely work. I try to punch in as much writing as I can, you know. And you don't sleep a lot. Yeah, so there's that, too, you know. You know, you don't I don't have, have kids or anything. So, like, I don't have a lot. I have zero obligations. I've tried to do that with my entire life. I just, like, people at jobs don't offer me a management position or anything. You know what I mean? There's a reason for that. I go in there and I have a very, I don't give a fuck attitude about this, but I'm here for your money and I have to do it. And that's about it. You know? So you're not ambitious in the traditional sense in that. No, not at all. I couldn't care. Like, I don't think I've ever went into a job and been like, mm, I'm going to run this place one day, you know, like <laughs> if I can pull my shirt out. Cause it's just like, I think every time I go into a job, it's just like, there's a big clock that they, they that's like a stopwatch counting back clock to the point where they just like, dude, you got to get the fuck out of here. We can't deal with you anymore. Cause that's usually what happens. That's the pattern. Yeah. Usually for the longest time, it was like, there was a three year clock from the time I punched in that first time, there was three years and that boss was going to at the end, lay me off cause they were so sick of me. My dad always says that, uh, the longest you're supposed to be. And my dad was like a corporate guy, Okay, you know, but he was like seven years. That makes sense. Seven years in any role, and you you sort of hit the ceiling, and you got to change, like not necessarily change company, but you have to change. Do something different. Yeah, Yeah. he's right. Because like I've done the same job for like standing in front of that machine, putting that shirt on the platen, bringing the screen down, and pushing the ink through the stupid screen, raising it up, pushing it along, and having another one in front of me to do it again. You know, and I've done that for fifteen years, and like that sucks. Like it's not. It's really, it's, it's pathetic. You know what I mean? At the end of that, I find, do you know what I mean? Like I should have went and did something else at this point, but I didn't. But I mean, what are you going to do? It's oh, like, I don't know. I, I think don't... about it all the time. I'm like, what, what's the, what's the thing to do? I feel like be like a hospice nurse, be like, like, like a noble profession. Yeah. You're you're saying, like some... then you go home and you feel good about it at least. That's what know? I mean. Like, like, but also be able to make enough money to get by or support your family. I feel like a hospice nurse would do all right. No, no, they don't get paid shit. Oh. It's like teachers. It's like, you'd be like, Oh wow. Teachers. Like we pay these people who do these. Like, That's really... so sad. Though, it's so you know? sad. <laughs> like the biggest scumbag will make so much money, like a lawyer or whatever, like, like a really shitty crummy lawyer will do so well. Like but the, a plastic guy, surgeon. the guy who changes the diaper of that lawyer when he's like in his dying days yeah. and like, make sure that he's comfortable. It's like you make 35 K that sucks or whatever know? it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Or the, or the person who taught him originally as a kid, do you know what I mean? And got him on that path to be a lawyer. Didn't do so hot either. And was, 
probably mistreated by every student as well, you know. Are, are teachers underpaid up in Canada? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I don't know enough of them, but, like, I'm pretty sure they're not. They're not. It, people take that job cause for the summers. Do you know what I mean? That, that's it. That's all. Like, I would, too. You know what I mean? Who doesn't want it's Canada. The whole rest of the year stinks. You have two months. <laughs> if you can get it off, do it, you know? Yeah. Especially in Montreal. Well, know? Montreal must be glorious in the summer. It's like up north. In the summer, when once the weather gets great, everybody comes outside. Dude, it's just, it's a party, man. The whole city's just so excited. We really appreciate it. That's what I always say. But it's also good. I like, I like that long winter because I can hunker down and I can get a lot of writing done because I don't want to be outside. And nobody's coming over. Nobody's got like, we're not going to the parks. We're not going out, you know? Yeah. So welfare, uh, you, like, you know, you said the book, Hugh's pretty close to your life experience. Did you leave home at 16? Did yeah, you... 16. Yeah. Just like the book, probably close to my 17th birthday. I left for a couple months, came home. It didn't work out. So I left again. But and just not getting along. Like, is it the same? Like not getting along with family? A hundred percent. I just didn't, uh, I think like, because I'm a loner, that it translated into my family too. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I kept them at a pretty far distance from me. You know what I mean? And I know, like I can look back at me as a kid, and I was like, I was bad for that. I didn't really share anything with my family. And why? Why? Why are you such a loner? Is it just? Is it truly just uh, nature, or is it nurture? I think it's nature. Maybe I don't know. I think I just spent a lot of time alone as a kid too, because like my sister was so much older. So when I was like one, she's in high school. Yeah. You know, and she's got boys on the brain and like and other things and like hot rods and shit, you know? So it's like a little brother wasn't like something that I was like, so I wasn't super close to her at the time. And then my dad worked at like the factory shift that they call, I call the, you don't have a family shift <laughs> where you basically get up when everybody's gone, you know, you leave at three and you come home at 11, you know, or like you're home by midnight, you know? So like, I didn't really see him as much as a kid. So who took care of you? Uh, my, my dad's mother raised me as a kid. Okay. She was the one around the house. Did you, did you like her? Yeah, I loved her. And she was she was my mom, man. Yeah. It, like she died probably a decade ago though. So. Yeah. I think after she died, that's when I was. That's when I left too. Like I was. I still stayed around that like Great Lakes Basin, you know. And then after she died, it was like okay, I can leave. I don't. I don't have anything here anymore necessarily. Or that's kind of how I felt. So that's when I still, like I moved to Toronto and then eventually Montreal. Yeah. So. uh you leave home. You're, you know, what, you got a backpack? Yeah. You're a teenager? Yeah. You have no idea what the fuck you're doing. You have no money. Uh, maybe 50 bucks at best. And like, I, I think I knew the orphan though, right? The first time I had that older friend too, that's the guy, the Greg character. And he's the guy who called me and was like, you did a good job. Oh, right. <laughs> and or he emailed me. And like, uh, so I just like hitchhiked into town and it's sat the guy there. That, the guy that worked at the YMCA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we used to party at his place a lot, you know, because he was living on his own. And he was maybe 18, 19, probably 19. No, yeah, 19, because he could buy booze. So he was 19, so I knew he could let, he'd let me sleep on his couch, you know what I mean? So I just did that because it was, seemed, I was just, I had enough, you know what I mean? It wasn't working, you know, for any of us. It was, it wasn't good for my stepmom. It wasn't good for anybody in that. It was good for my half-sister. It wasn't good for me. Yeah. So you're just like, I'm, I'm fucking out of here. Yeah, I kind of always wanted to, too, you know what I mean? Like, if I could have went and lived in the garage or something as a kid, I would have done that or, like, anything just to be outside of the house. Like, I spent, if when I got home from school, I left, and I didn't come back until I fucking had to be there. And then I went to my room, went, you know, that was the end of it. It's not entirely unusual right I don't around think that so. age. I mean, you know, you're starting to, like, it's like the biology of it. You're getting ready to leave the nest. I think mm -hmm. that as teenagers, you're starting to try to assert your independence and... 
than if you also have like a loner tendency, like a desire to be alone. I think uh, it, it's probably in my family too, for people to like fuck off too. Cause I have like cousins I'd never heard of that just disappeared. You know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> what do my, you mean? What do you mean disappeared? Well, like uh, one time I was riding my bike to work and I got a phone call, right? So I answer it and this is barrister. You know what I mean? He's like, hey, I've got some money for you. And I was like, why do you have money for me? He's like, this uncle of yours died. And I'm like, well, I've never even seen this uncle before. I've never even heard of him, dude. Great. And I was like, well, how did this happen? And he's like, well, his, what, oh, yeah, this guy's will was so out of date that it was his wife was the beneficiary. And she had died like a decade earlier, right? So she, there's no beneficiary there. So they went to like his kids. And then there was cousins there. And there was one that disappeared. And he's like, it took me so long to find him. But he had died, a junkie in like Vancouver or whatever. He just disappeared. Nobody ever saw him again, you know? So I guess that's what I mean, that I think. And then I have another uncle who just, like, he, he went to Australia and nobody ever saw him again, you know? <laughs> he just started a whole new family out there. What's your, uh, like, lineage? You said you're Welsh? Yeah, Welsh. So Anwell is Welsh. That's what they tell me. It, I could be wrong. Like, you're full, full Welsh? I doubt it. I think I look more Nordic or German a lot of the time. I get mistaken for, like, Russian often, too. Yeah. Like you've got like, I mean, for those of you listening, Steve's got like this beard. He's got like the fisherman's cap. Uh, I feel like you could pass for Russian. I feel like you could also like, there's also kind of like a, a Carl, uh, Knausgaard, like some kind of, yeah, I, hear, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I get like a Nordic lineage. I think so too. Cause I'm really tall as well. You know, how tall are you? Six, three, maybe that's good. Yeah. It's good to be tall. It's, I don't like having people like, I don't like have to look up at people. That's me. I'm like, well, I'm like almost six feet, but it's not so a, good. You know, it's, it could be worse. You'd be five, two like Danzig <laughs> or whatever, you know? <laughs> um, so you leave home and that began kind of your adventure. You're bouncing around, you're, um, like scraping by to say the least. Yeah. Your figure, I guess you, you, this is like, uh, when you fell into screen printing or figure. No, out. not even like I didn't screen print until probably for another few years. But I was just like, like, when I left home, there was nothing to do in that area except, like, maybe get a factory job. You know, there's no real, maybe you're going to work at, like, a fucking coffee shop, you know, or something, or McDonald's, you know what I mean? There's nothing. It's all, like, support stuff or a garage, you know? So I was like, I just got to, like, get that high school education, man. If I just get my, if I finish grade 12, I can go get this stupid job and then I can be done with it all. Do you know what I mean? I don't have to really think anymore. And like, so I just tried to do that. And it's like, do they have like a GED? In, uh... Yeah, I could have like dropped out at 16 and done like adult education and got like the high school equivalency or whatever. I could have done that. But like, you went back to school and finished. I, yeah, I stayed in school. Like I didn't, I didn't ever stop. I oh, just... oh, so you left home, but you didn't leave school. No. I just okay. kept going. I was like, this is what I have to do. I have like a year and a half left, man. I just got to fucking soldier through it. And then I can get that factory job. And then I don't have to think, you know, and then it's over. You know what I mean? That's what I'm supposed to do. And then I can just settle in to die, basically. Because that's what I thought I had to do. You know, I was like, get the factory job. Then I'll get this wife that probably hates me. And we'll have a bunch of kids. And they won't like me either. And then I'll drink myself to death. You know what I mean? Like, I thought that that was just what you do. <laughs> I didn't realize I could, there's a whole fucking world out there that I could do a ton of different things in, you know, like just like, just leave. If I had this wherewithal that I have now at 16, I would have dropped out and I just would have hitchhiked somewhere and never came back. I wouldn't have got that high school education because it hasn't helped me once. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel that, I mean, I feel the same way. Like if you're going to do this kind of work, 
You got to teach yourself. Yeah. Nobody can teach you how to do it. And nobody's been like, can I see your high school diploma, sir? Right. You know, like, (laughs) sure. Okay. It's actually cooler if you don't have one. I feel like it gives you, yeah, it gives you like an edge. I feel. Like my friend is a tattooer. He just dropped out at 16 and he was like, I'm going to go get an apprenticeship. You did that. I like, it's kind of, it's kind of of a piece with people who have tattoos. I feel like people who like dropped out of school or like did something edgy and different. I feel like that, like in the arts community, that's like revered. It's like, oh. Yeah, 100%. It's then you're this weirdo, right? You're yeah. like the odd man out, you know? He's like a savant. He's too smart for school. Yeah, or something like that. I can see that. It has its own, like, cachet, you know? Right? Yeah. I, it wouldn't work for me at school. I just wouldn't, uh, it wasn't going to work for me. You never you know even I mean? thought about going to school or college or anything like that? Totally thought about it, you know? But those were pipe dreams, I think, at the time. I kept being like, I'll just do it. I'll fucking apply and I'll get that student loan, you know what I mean? And, like, I just kept not doing it, you know what I mean? And, like, the, like, I mean, you've obviously thought a lot about this kind of stuff, but uh, the economic system that we're in, at least in the States, I guess there's probably some crossover with Canada. We're not that different. Where we're asking young people to take out these giant loans when they're 18 years old. It's insane. It's completely fucking insane. That was the thing of it for me. Like, I couldn't justify as like, I guess I, and now I could, I guess if you took out this loan and then you pay it off and you're a lawyer or whatever, it, 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 it equals out, but that's not what people do. People take these stupid courses, you know what I mean? And it's po- like become poets. Yeah. Right. I'm going to pay 50 grand to be a poet. And it's like, you're going to make 30 bucks <laughs> ever. You know what I mean? Like, you might get a book club in like Lawrence, Kansas to be like, we love your collection. Well, come on out, dude. And that's the best thing. You're, that's, but that to me, that's really cool. You know yeah, what I mean? That's yeah. like one of the best things that's happened to me. Like I'm here right now. Like. I'm a dumb little kid from Port, like fucking Canada. You know what I mean? So like, it's been really interesting to me that I can go to New York City and like, not as like a tourist necessarily. I get to hang out with people or like have like a real experience in the city necessarily. You know, or like Los Angeles, I get to have a different experience. And like, me and my wife were like, well, let's go stay at the Sheridan and see the fucking La Brea Tar Pits or the <laughs> fuck you doing here. You know, so it's very different. I like that. You know, well, the literary community, if the work is good. Uh, I don't think anybody, it's kind of like that in the arts. No one gives a shit. No, nobody's been like, maybe the bar people like, fuck that guy and his no education. You know, I can see that. I would be that if I spent all that money and then like, maybe I wanted a book on Tyrant and he wouldn't fucking publish it or whatever. I might be a dick about it. You know? Yeah. I guess, I mean, there's always going to be assholes somewhere, but, uh, I don't know. I feel like the literary community like could always be better, but it's not as bad as many places. Everybody I've met has been pretty nice. Yeah. I haven't had a really bad experience with anybody. It's usually like someone who doesn't write, I'll have a bad experience with, you know? Yeah. So you start to write this book. How long did it take you to write it? Maybe two years. Just like... Did you have a ritual? Yeah, I was pretty good about that. I'm good at... I, I'm very ritualistic, I guess. Like, I get up at six in the morning, no matter what, to write before I go to work or whatever. How with, long? How long do you write? A couple hours, you know? Try to get in as much... That's as much, as much as I'm going to really do good work for, I think. And then it kind of... I notice it. It's like, ah, these senses stink, you know? Just go get some breakfast and go to work, you know? Yeah, it's over. Yeah. So when, Yeah. So <laughs> when I was writing the book, I was just like... I, that, I was like... I think I was on like... When I first did my first draft, I was like, just write 2,000 words a day. And then like, or just write a chapter every day, you know? Write a 2,000 word chapter. That's a lot. Yeah. Do you do it... Uh, do you type or do you write by hand? I type. I'm not very great at it, but On a computer? Yeah. yeah. On a laptop, just like everybody else. Who are some of your influences as an adult? As an adult, like, yeah. what do I, like, ah, uh, Celine would have been a big one, you know? Me too. Really? I fucking love, like, I, I love him. I can't get enough of it. His books are so good, dude. Yeah. I, I mean, read Journey to the End of the Night. No, all of them. I love Rigadoon. I love North. I love Castle to Castle. You do? Oh, I, fuck yeah. I love Gween All's Band. That one's good too. They're okay. all good, man. I've tried to read North and, uh, like, I, I, I think, like, Death by, uh, 
Death on the Installment yep. Plan and Journey to the End of the Night. Those are great. Those are amazing. But those last three are good. North by North, or the Castle, the Castle, and North. Those are amazing if you get past those. Because the first hundred pages are just, if each one is him shitting on the publishers, right? And like the French literary community, which I love. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then once you get past that, it's like he's older. His style's calmed down and it's like really readable, you know? And it's more, it's less frantic. And I really like it. It's good. Plus, it's like he's in Germany, and the Nazis hate him, and France hates him. You know, everybody hates him. You know, he's like great. an anti-Semite, though. He's like, you know, he had, did some sketchy things. He did real. some sketchy things, you know, but we all do some fucking sketchy things. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Maybe not that. I <laughs> know. Uh, I've never been accused of treason or yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? Well, but, but like, I also think, you what's know. What's that in Bagatelle is the one he wrote? It was like a, the, a diatribe no, against the yeah. Jews or whatever? Well, but this is, what, this is what's uh, so confusing uh, about him is that I feel like there's a lot of humanity, especially in those first two books. And I think a lot of people feel that way. It's like anti-war messages, yeah. anti-authority. Like there's just a lot of warmth yeah. underneath all the darkness. Yeah, um, they're not. Those books aren't super racist by any means. I don't think either. No, I haven't. I mean, I haven't read them in a while. But uh, I just remember both of them just sort of like blew me away. Yeah, the first time I read like Journey into the Night, I was like, "That's it, man. Yeah, that's the one. He did it. He said he got I, it on." He, he, he fucking hit the nail on the head, man. I think I read it right after 9-11. Oh, yeah. So I was like in a mood, and I was like, this is it. Yeah, dude. Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's so good, man. I love his book. His, his work is so good, man. Well, and he had that's the other thing, too, that complicates, um, you know, the way that I conceive of him. You know, he was really badly injured in the war. Yeah. His head, he got he had a bad head injury. Yeah, because you see those, like, uh, the interviews with him after the war when he's old. He doesn't look good, you know? No. And he heard, like, he had, like, a whistling, I want to say, like, in his in his head, like, in his ear. Yeah, because that's what he talks about in Rigadoon. The oh, lot. he does? Okay. Yeah, because he gets bombed or whatever, right? He's in, like, I forget where it is. I'm not as familiar with those ones. But, like, yeah, there's, like, a really bad situation, and he gets, like, there's bombing, and he's, like, got a ringing in his ear or whatever. Because he's, like, trying, it's him and his wife and this actor and their cat. And they're trying to, like, get out of Nazi Germany or just try to get safe at the very end of the war, you know? Yeah. Well, he, uh, I want to say, was, like, one of the first. There's, like, a weird parallel. I want to say he was, like, one of the first French infantrymen to be wounded in World War I and get, like, a medal. And Hemingway was sort of the same. It was like he was, in, he was like, an ambulance driver for, like, two days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he got, like, shot up. Doesn't E.E. E. Cummings do the same thing, too? Wasn't he, like, I'm Maybe. pretty sure? I don't know. I but uh, then Celine and Hemingway, I want to say, died on the same day. Did or, they really? Or, like, a day or two apart. That's cool. I don't know. Just, like, weird, weird yeah, symmetry. Coincidences. The American and the French, right? Yeah. I prefer a French writer over an American most of the time, though. Well, and I, I also marvel, and I don't know if this is just a function of the... Did you read the Ralph Mannheim translations? Is yeah. That, okay. Like, maybe it's just he's a great translator, but I'm like, that book was published, like, Journey, I want to say, was published in 32. Yeah, something like that. And it reads, like, so contemporary. It's it, so modern, dude. It's not dated at all. And no. I don't know if that's just because... It's his style. You think so? Oh, 100%. I think the worst thing is, like, that we do now as writers is write, like, 1960 or something like that. I think that the people fall prey to that. And I think Celine, he he had it, man. He was light years ahead of everybody else. Did you light ever do years. any of the ellipsis? Like, I mean, I know there's some, but I mean, like, did you? Like, I went through no. a phase where I was like, God, maybe that's what I should do. Use the, there's that Jimi Hendrix record with it in there too, eh? With what? Are you experienced? There's like a, I think it's that one or another one, and there's like a the, the, like linear notes or there's like a poem inside of it, and it's all done in Celine, the ellipses, Celine style. Really? Yeah, yeah. Was Jimi Hendrix influenced by Louis Ferdinand? I don't know. Oh. I just saw it. It was at my buddy's place because he had the record, and I was like flipping through it, and I was like, oh fuck, what a rip off. Yeah. <laughs> like, but then like I don't think a lot of Hendrix fans might get that reference, you know? Yeah, no. Those it's like tempting. Those ellipses work. 
It really did. I don't know, because he was about the tiny music or whatever, right? Because he thought that it was like the music in your head. That's what he wrote, you know? And I think that I try to do this very, something very similar. Yeah. Well, there is like, but there's like, I, I feel like there are certain writers who are more musical in their approach. I was just talking to Duquesne about this. Maybe okay. not on the show, but like, he's a buddy of mine. We were talking, but like, is writing for you uh, super musical? I think so. I try to listen. There's a rhythm to it, you know? My book is, I think it's super rhythmic, you know, like I tried to like stick to something like that. And I, I like music a lot. I think I'm probably influenced by it a lot. And I like the idea of like, do you write to music? Yeah. I'll listen to music when it's on, when I write, but like really low and stuff that I will find like really unoffensive. Do you know what I mean? It can't be really like anything. I wouldn't listen to like heavy metal or anything. Else, you know, <laughs> it'd just be like stuff I probably wouldn't normally listen to like leisurely do you know what i mean by more folk or anything like that i gotta i can't have anybody singing at me unless it's like in a foreign language because then i start then to, you don't understand it it doesn't matter right yeah but if somebody's singing and i can understand them then it winds up distracting me yeah that's definitely it i like because that's why i have it really low i just have it like just enough so i can just hear it so it's there and I, what I really like listening or like, well, like uh, Indian music. I like to write to that a lot too. Like sitar and stuff? Yeah. Like Ravi Shankar and shit like that. That's yeah. good to write too. Okay. I've been listening to like these like science fiction movie soundtrack playlists. I can see that with theremin shit. Fucking woo 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 I can listen to that. Just like celestial. Yeah. You know, I want something. I want to feel like I'm in outer space or something. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Just like I'm, a wash of music. Because there's probably music in outer space. We just don't hear it. I think <laughs> the hum of the universe. Let's right? hope. That's what I think I'm trying to tap into, the hum of the universe. Yeah. That's good. Is it? I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. So two years, six in the morning. Yeah. Caffeine. Yeah, I smoke a lot of pot, too, when I'm writing. In the morning? Yeah. You wake up and you wake and bake. Yeah. I, smoke, I also work for a dude. Like, the guy I screen print for, he smokes a ton of dope, too. So I, when I get there, we smoke joints. Do you know what I mean? So if I show up stone, no one's really going to notice. Do you know what I mean? And right. like, I've done my job for long enough. Like I could do it in my sleep. You and know? Yeah, but like, I think some people, you have to have the right, uh, biochemistry to be able to handle it. Like I, I can't, I don't think I can function socially as well as some people. I just think, I don't know. Like I, like my wife said it last night, she's like, this is going to even you out when I finally smoked a joint like last night. You know what I mean? Cause I think I'm too manic. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too, is that like certain people, you know, different neurochemistry, you need different things to help you uh, regulate. Yeah. Whether it's like, you know, some pharmaceutical or some, it's a good joint. Like I get that. I'd much rather take a joint than a pharmaceutical though. Yeah, me too. I think even when doctors in the past have been like, well, they're like, I was like, oh, my back hurts. I'm like, well, we'll give you some opiates. It's like, you know what? I don't really want those. Right. Because I, this is, this is a slippery slope. You know what I mean? Like, well, smart. That's wise thinking, I think. Yeah, right, because then you got this, like, your, your dealer's right there, and he's real easy to get to. He's just a pharmacist, you know what I mean? It's no, it's, it's too easy to, like, you know, everybody gets hooked on him, you know? If I want to do an opiate, I'll just go buy some on the street. Yeah, and it's like the pharmaceutical companies and these companies that have made billions of dollars on these things. That's the thing, too. At the end of the day, like, do I, like, you know, just like, who's selling me pot? The Hell's Angels, do you know what I mean? So, like, I'd rather give them my money at this point because it's tax-free, you know? Like, Wait, you, you buy pot from the Hell's Angels? Everybody buys pot from the Hell's Angels in Canada at the, at the end of the day. Really? I would think so, yeah. They own the market? Quebec, definitely. Is, or is, the mafia. Is weed legal in Quebec? Weed, weed is legal from coast to coast. Dude. Oh, right. That's right. They legalized it yeah, recently. Yeah, in October, yeah. What do you think of Justin Trudeau? You know, I don't... You know what? I'm not a <laughs> politics guy. I couldn't care less. You, you know, could. does it change anything my day-to-day? No. Okay. Like, we had the same prime minister before him for, like, fucking 14 years almost. You know what I mean? That's like, Stephen Harper? Or? Yeah, something like that. 
Well, yeah, I feel like uh, be, just because we have Trump, like I, I'm, I idealize uh, Justin Trudeau, who's like this young, handsome. For sure, of course. Yeah. And he's liberal, and he's like, I think Americans usually do that to our politicians because we have a lot of more liberal politicians. We're a more liberal country, I think. But like, I, I would worry about politics more in Quebec if like some right wing separatist party gets in. That's going to change my day to day. Yeah. The, the prime minister doesn't at but all. they've been like there's been some agitating for that in quebec I've for heard. sure man there was like the last time uh like since i've been there the, the parti quebecois got voted in and someone tried to kill the lady at the fucking at the inauguration thing like their her victory speech thing man that night wow. there was a shooting that night jesus yeah it's it's like the anglophone francophone thing there is it's dicey like it can get pretty dicey do you, you speak know? french not enough that I would be like, yeah, I speak French, you know. But enough to like, like, just deal with your life. If it's necessary, I'll get by. You know what I mean? I can sell a T-shirt in French, and I can like <laughs> order my dinner in French. But I'm not like, not sitting in a cafe talking about my life. You know? Right? No, yeah, I'm kind of the same so, way. You know? Do you know French? Uh, un petit peu. Does your do your neighbor speak French? Why? I don't know. I saw two ladies out there, and they were speaking French earlier. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. I, don't I was know. staring at him. My wife was like, they are scared of you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was just like, I may as well get in on this French conversation. Like, Who is this fisherman? Yeah, exactly. Like, he doesn't look like he's from L.A. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you get this manuscript done two years in. Were, yeah. you, were you trying to publish excerpts of it as you were going? or nope. were you, were Never you, once. Okay. And, were, and, and as you were going, were you becoming familiar with like the online lit world i was already pretty familiar with the online lit world i just wasn't really participating in it like what what were you a fan of who was i reading that i liked my first real like introduction that i really liked was sam pink you know i thought his stuff really sung to me you know what i mean because he's got that loner aspect about it and it's chicago which isn't very different from toronto i don't think in the weather and it's you know i like i could relate to that and it's like I got into like the Tyrant magazines too. I was really into those because I thought he was putting out a lot of cool stuff. And like, I don't know, just there's a lot of stuff out there. You know what I mean? I guess it was Altlet when I first like got into online literature. That was the thing was Altlet. And it's just like, I didn't fit in with that. So it was like, it was hard for me to make any inroads. You know what I mean? But once that died, I think like, what, what, what was it about Altlet that didn't, didn't gel with me? Yeah. I think a lot of it is just so like there's good writers and all that don't get me wrong but i think that the majority of it was just like uh, really boring and like problems that i can't relate to do you know what i mean like oh boohoo i'm in college my cat's sick or whatever you know what i mean like that style of shit and it's like well you know your life could be a lot worse you know what i mean i get that you don't have any food right now but you could probably call your dad to get a fucking sandwich right you know right the stakes aren't high enough they weren't high enough they weren't they weren't gambling with enough for me you know what i mean i like to like throw it all away if you're going to do it you know that's why I was. I always say like I, I didn't take like a pseudonym or whatever, because if I wasn't going to throw away my name, I wasn't going to do it right, you know. So you have to put on the page enough to what destroy your yeah reputation, destroy myself, <laughs> my reputation, my family, any chance of going home, stuff like that, you know. I mean, all my friends banned from like the village that I grew up in, you know, that kind of stuff. Has there been any pushback or backlash? No, but I I don't think I'll probably ever see my dad again. Really? No. Because of, the, because of the book? It's probably... The, I say that that's the final nail in the coffin there. Yeah. It's just deteriorated over the years. And, like, the last time I went home, I got a definite impression I wasn't... Not from him, but, like, that I'm not a part of that family. Really? Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. What about know. your sister? My older sister? Yeah. We're, uh, we talk, but not enough. You know what I mean? It's just, like, we're so... I think it's the age thing, and, like... 
we're really different now. Like I'm this <laughs> big city asshole, I guess, you know, to her, cause she's this rural Canadian on a horse farm in Southern Ontario. You know what I mean? So right. it's like, we don't have a lot in common anymore. Well, have you ever, did you ever write to them? Yeah. Uh, you know, not as much as I should, you know what I mean? They don't, that, they're not really writers back. That's you know? okay. That's okay. But like, I mean, what the hell do I know? But at least it's like, I feel like letters, at least you're, you're, you're still giving them something, you know, like I'll talk to my, my sister and I, like I'll go home and visit her. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like my, that her farm is like probably the most calm place I could ever be. I think, you know, she raises horses. She doesn't raise them. She just has, I don't know what raising, but like she, you know, she's always has a couple or like some little kind of tiny horses or whatever. And her, like, what do you, what do you mean? Tiny horses, little horses. They're not ponies. They're miniature horses. Oh, okay. There's a difference. I didn't know. For do you ride them? No, dude. I'm the only one in my family who's not an equestrian. Like, really? My dad was a cowboy before I was a kid, like born. Oh, really? Like he would go down to Tennessee and pick up horses and bring them back to Canada and try to sell them to like other like horse people, I guess, to yeah. like ride them English or cowboy style or Western style. And if not, they went to the glue factory or wherever you do with a horse you don't want, you know? Like they always say you destroy a horse. That seems like a strong verb. Yeah, right. Because well, I guess you do. You're breaking their spirit originally. You know what I mean? That's so sad. We don't destroy any other animal. No, we don't. We don't destroy dogs and cats. No, you know, you destroy I mean? a horse. Like your cat destroys you. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. That's why I like cats. I wish I could have one. My wife is like terribly allergic. Oh yeah, we don't have any pets. I don't keep any. You don't like any? It's not that I don't like them. I kind of like. We have an apartment. I feel bad for it. And, like I don't really like city dogs. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, this fucking snowing out, and I got to put this dog's little boots on to take him for a walk. Yeah. Like, my, my I don't even like putting my boots on, you know? Like, my sister was sending me pictures from uh, Chicago. She lives when that polar vortex right. happened. Her dog is like, it got a coat on. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's nuts to me. And plus, like, the whole idea of a city dog, it's like, if you don't have a yard, it's like, well, okay, he needs his exercise. I got to go take this guy for a walk, and I got to walk him down to the park, and I'm going to feel bad if he doesn't get his exercise. I get up at dawn, take my dog for a walk. Right? You got to. Yeah. But that's when I write. It's good for me, too, but that's your writing. <laughs> he can't cut into that, you no. know? But a country dog, it's like you open the door and kick him in the ass, and he's on his own. He's having a blast, you know? So if your writing career takes off, your book starts selling like crazy. Yeah. You, you leave Montreal? Yeah, in a heartbeat. I'd go, go get South some America. Hunter S. Thompson-style fucking fortified cottage in the woods, dude, and no time flat. That would be my goal. And nobody would ever, like, nobody would be able to find you unless you wanted them to. Yeah, probably not. That would be my best. That's actually the, the, the shittiest thing about having the book is I can't hide anymore. Because I've hidden for, like, since I left high school from, like, everybody I knew, I think, you know? Like, I don't have, like, a Facebook presence or anything like that. But now people can Google you. Now people, they hunt me down. Like, And it's like wildfire, you know? You come from a small town and you write a book and it's set in that small town, people are going to want to read it. Yeah. You know? Curiosity. Even if I sell, if I don't sell books anywhere else, I'll sell some <laughs> back in that town, you know? You keep weapons? Like, speaking of Hunter S. Thompson, are you, like, a gun guy? It's Canada. It would be very tough for me to keep guns. Like, I'd, I'd really have to, like... It's, you know, you have to take a course. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. Because, like, like, I remember watching, like, the Michael Moore gun movie. Remember mm -hmm. that one? Like, Bowling for Columbine. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he went to Canada, and he's like, well, like... He's in London, Ontario, in that fucking diner, right? Probably. And he's talking like, no, that was the one about, like, the medicine, I think. I don't know. Whatever. But he goes to Canada. Basically, like, the point is that there are a lot of guns in Canada. Yes, sir. But there's not as much gun violence by no. a long shot. It's just different people, I guess, maybe. It's hunting. We're hunting country. Yeah. All the guns are, like... It, but then Toronto's really violent. People get shot in fucking Montreal. People get shot everywhere. But it's just like our population is only like it's like less it's than too cold. It's, it's less than California, dude. There's more people in California than there is in Canada. Yeah. 
So, like, it's that's a numbers okay. game. That's why there's no violence. You know what I mean? Like, you can always get apples and oranges. Plus, you're freezing fucking cold. Yeah. Like seven months of the year. You're not going. You might think that would cause more gun violence. No, you people know what are I mean? inside. Yeah, it is. That's what it is. You know <laughs> what I mean? But, like, people just don't have guns. There's that Norm MacDonald thing where he's like, I love fist fighting, man, and I'll fist fight anybody in Canada. But in, but in America, I don't do it. Really? Because people have guns here. I had a... Uh... You mean Norm Macdonald, the comedian? The one and only, yeah. Okay, so when I, I, I have a Norm Macdonald story. I've told oh, cool. it like maybe once, but it was a long time Did ago. Did you meet him? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, no, he totally fucked with me, too. I was, like, my wife and I, this is like before we had kids, and uh, my book had just come out, and we were at this, like, mall, and there's, like, a Barnes & Noble, and, like, I would go in and, like, check on my book. Okay, I, cool. would, I was, like, I would, like, like, visiting somebody at the hospital. Yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, God. And uh, I was like, there it is. It's doing okay. Yeah. Like, turn it face out. You yeah, know? yeah. And I would, uh, I was in there, and, like, Norm MacDonald's there. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's Norm MacDonald. He's with his friends. He looks stoned. And uh, my wife goes up to him. She's like, he just published a book. You know, she starts, like, plugging me. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. like no, 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 no. You know, and Norm's like, that's cool, you know. And he's like, I'll buy your book. And he's like, sign it for me, man. Sign it for me. So I'm, like, I'm like, all right. So I'm signing this copy and uh, shaking his hand. I was like, thanks, Norm. You know, we, we think you're funny and all this stuff. And leave. Like, I can't believe Norm MacDonald bought my book. And then like a month later, I'm back at that same mall or something. Mm -hmm. And I go in to check out my book. <laughs> I pick up the copy off it's the, the shelf. the one you signed for him. It's man. the one I signed for him. That's amazing, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, like, that's amazing. <laughs> and, and it's exactly the kind of thing that Norm would do. A hundred percent. You know, yeah. I like that. That's a good story, dude. So I'm like, I feel like, uh, I don't know. It's like a badge of honor. That totally is. At I'd, the time lo I'd love to have Norm MacDonald fuck around with me. That'd be great, too. Yeah. So, uh, so you get this book done. Did you have your site set on Tyrant? Did you have a relationship with Gion? Did you submit it through the like over the transom? Like, how did the publication <laughs> process happen? Well, uh, um, I wrote a th like I did a few drafts of the book. I guess I'll start there. And I had a final one, and it looked more like a Noah Cicero novel with, like, the sentence graphs kind of style. So it was like a 200-page poem, I kind of felt. What do you mean? Just, like, one sentence, one Yeah, sentence. exactly. It didn't have, like, that, like, uh, the four-line paragraph kind of style that I ended up sticking with. So then I showed it to, like, Elizabeth Allen, and she literally said, there's no heart in this book. And I was like, oh, groan. So then I wrote it again, and I tried to put heart in it, you know? How do you put heart in a book? I don't know. I just was like, I'm going to fucking make this good. You know what I mean? You know, I just kind of was like, I'm going to abandon myself. I'm going to say all that shit that I shouldn't say that I'm like, you know, I'm like, that I think is like going to embarrass me, or maybe I don't want to admit to people, or may make me not look as cool or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's the stuff. That's heart. You know what I mean? Everything that makes you look like a real person, you know? It's so, it's, I hear this story all the time. I hear, I mean, it, yeah, you it, it resonates with me uh, personally, like the stuff that we don't that we try so hard to avoid is <laughs> like what the that's what people want that's what it needs that's to why be tabloid there. shit does so well it's the fucking dirt man yeah so i was like i'll just put in all the grime so then after that was done how did you know elizabeth uh she found me dude I and mean, she found my tumblr like she's the first person that's how i'm i'm sitting here because of elizabeth ellen that's i'll say that who sure. has guested on this show twice i there should say go. to listeners um so she found me on tumblr once and she was just like re she read like, can you reblog on tumblr i guess yeah. you can yeah. so you retumble yeah you retumble so she retumbled me there and then i just wrote her and i was like that's fucking cool because that was the first time i'd had any interaction with someone who like some stuff i liked you know so then we just kind of struck up a friendship or whatever. And that's how I got, like, writing at Hobart, too, because I have a lot of stuff up there. So, yeah, so I showed it to her. She's like, no heart. I wrote it again. And then 
in that time, I kind of started going on Twitter. I hadn't really, like, I'd, you know, flirted with it before. So I was like, you know, Sam Pink was pretty keen on my stuff at that point. So I was like, he was like, somebody published something by this guy. So I was like, I'm going to make him put his money where his mouth is. So I write him up. And I'm like, you want to read my novel? And he's like, yeah, sure. So then he read it, and he was like, he got back to me pretty quick. And he's like, this is really good, dude. I'm going to send it to um, Lazy Fascist and then CCM as well. And they said, they both said they'd get back to us in a month. And, like, neither of them did. So in that time, you know, Gene had started following my, like, my Twitter and liking my tweets, you know. And I had all this. I was, like, all fucking confident because Sam liked my book. And he was, like, he was my go-to for that shit. So... I was like, you know what? I'm just going to DM Gian and be like, you want to read my book, dude? And he was like, yeah, sure. And I'll be like, I'll get back to you about this, you know? And then I was like fucking so ecstatic that he even said it. Like, that was probably more exciting to me than getting the actual book published. You know what I mean? The fact that he'd read it. Because I wanted, like, to me, it was like, oh, maybe if I write two, three books, maybe he'll notice me then. You know what I mean? I'll go like the Scott McClanahan route or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because I think, you know, that's how, that's how I just figure that out. That's how you do things. So he got back to me in a fucking day, dude, and was like, we want to publish this book. Um, just tell CCM to fuck off or whatever. And like, uh, and then from there, that's how it happened, man. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, that, I, think, I feel like that's sort of uh, like it, it. When good things happen, they usually happen fast. When yeah, comes, right. You know, if there's a yes, it's usually quick. It's not usually like this lingering thing. Yeah, you either know you like it or you don't right off the hop, I think. You know? Yeah. So how long ago was this? That was, fuck, two years ago? Yeah, I think he's had that book at least two years, for sure. And then you guys went through an editorial process together? No. That's it, like the manuscript, basically. Really? Pretty much, yeah. If there's a comment in it, I think Gian added that, and he changed the end a little bit. You know what I mean? It was probably a little bit longer. Yeah. But other than that, that's the manuscript I wrote, I think. He may have changed it a bit. Yeah. But not much. So you really went through editorial process, uh, like Elizabeth Ellen, like that stage of the thing. That's where it, like, it, it went, it, you know, you, you like hit the gauge and you go over, you know what I mean, kind of thing. And it's like, that's where that book became like something, you know. Once you put the dirt in. Yeah, because it was there and I cut it all out probably because I was like, I'm going to like just slash, you know, kill your darlings or whatever. So I slashed the whole, like, I got a bigger manuscript and I think I probably took out like 40,000 words. How, how many words is your uh, finished product? Maybe. I think it sits around 90. 90. Maybe. That's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good for, you know, for that's, anybody. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it, like I cut out a lot and then I just put in the rest, you know what I mean? When I, when I, I just felt like I had to, I guess, you know. Are you working on something new? Yeah, I got another novel that I've already done, and I'm just like, try. I'm at that point where I need to put the heart in, you know. So I'm just kind of going over that. You always put the heart in last. Yeah, <laughs> it's easiest. It's the easiest point part to do it. At. Why? It's easy to put the heart in. It's just a fucking it just fits into the puzzle, you know. It's like putting puzzle pieces in. That's all the book is. The book writes itself, man. The story's there. That's super easy to do. So you just got to fill it up with like whatever is in a story you know what i mean and then it's like the heart you just drop in man there's just little fucking fragments that make it's not a big thing putting heart into a novel it's just you don't have to know how to do it or have to be willing to do it or be like so you're talking like like uh, thoughts uh, description of like your uh, it could character. be a line it could be a paragraph it could be a like a thought it, it could there's a lot of things that make give a give a book heart it's things that people fucking resonate with do you know what i mean or like Something can someone can be like it's the same thing that makes a tweet really good probably is the same thing that makes it gives a book heart. I think I have this theory that like really good tweets 
happen fast. Oh, yeah, man. You're not thinking about that if shit. If you think about a tweet, you're fucked. No, as soon as that goes into your drafts, it's over. <laughs> it's over. Right? Because you shouldn't draft the fucking shit. It's, it's like you're taking a piss on the internet. You know what I mean? That's what Twitter is. You know, it's like, you know, that's how at least I try to look at it. Like, you know, because I, if I really think about it, and I try to write, like, some really nice tweet. Nobody fucking cares. People want to be like, I fell down a flight of stairs, and, but in an interesting way or something stupid like that. Or you want, they want me to make fun of somebody. You know what I mean? It's yeah. off the cuff. You yeah. Know? But off the cuff is always better. You know, I think it's comedy works better that way, too. That's why I like Twitter. That's, like, funny. You know, it's like when, when people can quip. Yeah, right? It's good, man. I don't know. Twitter is... I was so fucking against that shit because I'm older, too. So I was like, ah, it's the youngsters, How you old know? Are you? You're not that old. 39. Yeah, 39. It's, but it's old enough for me to complain about it. You yeah. know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, you are qualified to complain yeah, about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly... I'm no spring chicken anymore. So, But I was like, oh, these youngsters. And then I just got doing it. And like, like fucking... I don't... I'm pretty much a Twitter writer. Like, it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Twitter, you know? Line by line. Yeah, you know. How many followers you got? You got a lot of followers? No, like fucking less than maybe 700. Huh. That's still good. Triple digits. Guess, you know, <laughs> what does it mean though? Those things come and go like fucking. I think it's about quality of followers. Like people who are following. It's like one thing to have like 6,000 followers. Like, yeah, like, exactly. How many like, people actually pay attention? Fun to guy 86. I don't give a shit if you follow me, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry if you're out there. But uh, like, I'm like stoked when like another writer I like follows my thing. Like, right. You know, and I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. Or like if I can get like no Cicero to like one of my tweets, then it's like I won a little bit, you know? Right. But I don't, you know, who cares about Twitter really? I mean, so what's the new book about? <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, it's oh, fuck. I I call it my on the road because uh, it's it's like a it's it's like a road trip book where we don't go anywhere. But I didn't like I don't like the relationship between Dean and Sal in that book. I don't think he did a good job on it, so I want to do a better job. So what? What do you mean you don't go anywhere? We don't go anywhere. We stay in one town. But you're in the car. No, not even. Oh, okay. It's more about the relationship between the two guys. I think. Okay. That's that's on the road to me more. Does it have a title? Yeah, I call it Classic Shitheads. Classic Shitheads. Yeah. Do you have it? Is, is uh, Tyrant going to publish it? Or are you not that close? Are I you? haven't. I'm not showing it to him yet. Oh, you mm -hmm. haven't? Okay. No, I just. I want it. It's too good. Welfare was too good to show him. Do you know what I mean? So now I have to like. I have to do a better job. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You got to bring it back up. So it's like it's a high water mark for me to hit. So I want to do better than that before I show it to him. You know what I mean? Like I've had people be like, "You should show it to him. This book is pretty much done." You know what I mean? But for me, it's not done. You know what I mean? Maybe you should show it to Elizabeth again. <laughs> yeah, you know she has it. She won't read it. She's she's got too much on her plate. Um, and I'm working on a nonfiction book though too. Which is? Uh, it's about. <laughs> it's I'm working. It's it's with uh, my wife's uncle, and he's been being he's been abducted by aliens and has. Uh, experiences with interdimensional beings on a weekly basis pretty much and he's had them since he was a kid and he wants to write a book about it so wait he's is, he gets abducted on a weekly basis or he has experiences with interdimensional beings on either a or like he could be abducted one week or he might like an interdimensional being might come into his room at night what do these interdimensional beings look like uh, i have hundreds of photos like hundreds maybe more they're like it's on your phone can i no, see no they're all they're all i just no I, I don't like showing them out too because they're it's fucked up it's like he, so he takes photos of them. Yeah, he went and bought like a, uh, you know, like a tree cam. So if you want to see deer and fucking bear at night or whatever, it's a motion sensor, high resolution, black and white night cam. So when he's sleeping, because this is when it happens, you know, like an alien, he says that like he sometimes gets vibrated up or down into another dimension or like they come and there's one photo like he's got like time lapse photos of this thing coming up out of his hand and materializing, you know, or like stuff like there's a woman materializing in his bed. 
Fucking A. And yeah, do, it's do, cool. Do they look uh, like anything like the classic alien sketches or whatever? With the he big... says that he does have experiences with greys, for sure. Like, he's got a ton of stories with greys where he gets, They're like, called greys? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we would continue to make those grey alien, you know, like that alien yeah. autopsy style. That's yeah. a grey, right? Okay. I didn't so, know there was, like, an official name for well, it. Well, maybe they're, they're not officially named that, but... Um, yeah, so he's, he's got experiences with those, and then he sees also has experiences where he goes to other dimensions, where it's very similar to Earth, but it's uh, it's it's there's like little things like maybe people can levitate. He, but he thinks what it is is like the whole idea of this book is like that humanity is working towards an ascension to a higher reality, and we just keep going up to another dimension after we die. There's no death. That's what he, that's what his idea is. I'm kind of down with that. I'm fucking super down with it, dude. And it's like, he's like, it's funny because he doesn't know anything about religion or anything. Like, he doesn't really follow that. And he, he's not a Christian. He hates it or whatever. Did he do any drugs? Is he like, do this? no, not even. I was like, because some of them, I'm like, dude, that sounds like a salvia experience I had, you know? It's like, or like DMT experiences too. Like a lot of them. And he talks about elves and yeah. like the sound of the bees. It's like the buzzing that people talk about and like fractals and shit. So, uh, I don't even know where I was going with this now. Um, well, that's going to be your nonfiction book. That'll be a nonfiction book I'm working on right now. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Well, you're a busy guy. Yeah, I try to be, you know. Well, uh, it's good to meet you. Congratulations on welfare. Congrats on the great uh, Washington Post review. Oh, that was cool, eh? Hey, not bad for a debut uh, novel. <laughs> yeah, my ugly mug in there? Fuck. <laughs> Take that, pop. Um, <laughs> no, thanks for having me, dude. This was fun. Yeah, best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Okay, that is Steve Anwell. His uh, novel is called Welfare. It's available now from Tyrant Books. You can follow Steve on Twitter. His handle is at one love asshole. At one love asshole. You can check out his book uh, at nytyrant.com. That's the website for Tyrant Books. Steve Anwell and the novel, one more time, is called Welfare. Thanks to Kill Rockstars and the band Stereo Total, as always, for the theme song music. Thank you to Tiger in My Tank for the interstitial music. Thank you to Bloomsbury and Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls by T. Kira Madden for sponsoring today's episode. If you would like to support this podcast, just go to patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Don't forget about the free Other People app. If you would like to email me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. What else? The website for this show, otherppl.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at otherppl, etc. Next week on the program, who do I have coming up? Ooh, I got a good one next week. Roger McNamee, who wrote a book called Zucked about Facebook. Roger McNamee was one of Mark Zuckerberg's mentors in the early days of Facebook, and he was also an early investor in Facebook. And Roger McNamee is also partners with uh, Bono in an uh, investment fund called Elevation. So uh, that's a very fascinating conversation. Stay tuned for that. Roger McNamee next week, right here on the Other People podcast. Delete your Facebook. <laughs>